Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here with your co-host, Phil Goldfeder, on another Thursday morning political talk on the Nakam Siegel Network, NakamSiegel.com, around the world, on Arut Sheva, Israel National News Slash Radio. And thanks for joining us as we go past 100 days, Thursday morning, looking at one of the big votes, possibly one of the most significant uh, issues of the first 100 days, even though we're after the 100 days, which is the big health care vote coming up in Washington, D.C. Can this new young administration and a Republican-controlled Congress pass a health care bill? And, and really, in effect, they're kind of just passing it in order that it probably will die in the Senate, which, of course, seems all that more interesting uh, when you think about it. Um, whether the president, the consummate dealmaker, can actually get done what he needs to get done. So I don't know, Phil, a lot of criticism. I've gotten some criticism about the fact that we're criticizing. We're just kind of sitting here laughing at the president and all his foibles. But there really is a dearth of substance. There is a lack of substance. So yes, there are a lot of executive orders. Yes, there are things that he signed into legislation. But as far as his promises for the first 100 days of what he's going to do, the big items that he's going to go ahead and tackle over the first 100 days, they actually haven't happened. And what you've had actually is a lot of noise and a lot of distractions, possibly from their own making. So when people are upset out there and they feel like, well, you know, we're overly critical, you just get on the show every week just to criticize President Trump, that's not what we're looking to do. We're actually looking as people who've been involved in politics, people as professionals, to look at what's going right and what's going wrong. There are some things that are going right, but there's also a lot of things that have not gone right. Look, that, that's the point. I think it's almost unavoidable. I think we'd be criticized if we, we came here and we, we talked about all the positive things. And, and quite frankly, there, there's, we're, we're here to discuss the, the happenings of the week, the news of the week, uh, what's going on sort of on the inside uh, of the political game. And quite frankly, this Trump administration has been monopolizing this time, usually with, with a bad tweet, a bad story, a mismove, a misstep. I mean, it's hard to avoid. And quite frankly, if we did avoid it, we would doing, we, we'd be doing our listeners a, a tremendous injustice. Quite frankly, you and I have said this time and time again. I think over all else, you as a Republican, but me as an American, we, we want to see this president succeed. I'm the Republican. You're the... So, okay, let's... We'll, <laughs> we'll let that one slide. Yeah, we'll let okay. that slide. No, the, the bottom line is we both want to see the president succeed. Nobody... I mean, I hope, and I don't care how liberal you are or, or how democratic you are or how, how much of a Democrat you are, I hope no one wakes up every day, I want to see him fail, I want to see our country fail. There are some. There's no question but, about that. I think that there are a lot of people who actually want that. And that's disappointing. And I, I want you to know something, and, and I, I'm disappointed with those folks and, and probably those on the far left, as much as I am with, with disappointed with those on the far right who rather make political points than actually see our country uh, move forward. And yet... You and I, I think we, we speak about the show before we get on in the morning and we're like, you know, you say this idea, we'll, we'll just avoid this issue or that issue. Um, and today there's there's quite a few that we're going to talk about. I think that would be doing a disservice to our listeners. And, and I think it's important that we discuss it. And I think it's important that uh, that people understand, not from a, a bias. You know, it's not it's not coming from a place of I want to just point out the bad things. Please give me something positive to talk about. But again, without getting into it, this is a man who over the campaign trail talked about how executive orders were bad and how, you know, he literally he beat up President Obama for signing so many executive orders. And he even said the words, when I'm president, we're going to do away with executive orders only to stand essentially on the first hundred days only on executive orders. It's it's that the bark, the 
the bite doesn't match the bark. And there's so much bark around and there's so much of noise and there's so much circus and everything, controversy surrounding the president, surrounding the White House. It's exhausting. Every day there's something new that the president said that you have to walk back or that somebody else said that you have to walk back. And there's just so much out there. We talked last week and we, we talked about the fact that the they're going to have trouble passing tax reform if the president doesn't release his tax return. I'm not saying they won't pass tax reform if the president doesn't release his tax returns. I'm saying they're going to have trouble. I think it's going to be an issue. It's not necessarily an issue for Trump because I think he's just kind of passed it. He doesn't care. I think it's an issue for congressional Republicans to have to pass things because the it's a very potent argument to say that you're willing to pass a I mean the one one tax return that we actually have, I think the president would have saved about $30 million on a $35 million tax bill. So I, so, so a lot of people are going to say, well, you can't, and, and he's basically said, and he said it this week in a round of interviews and the Treasury Secretary said, he's just not doing it. It's got nothing to do with the audit, whatever it is. He's just not releasing them. And so two things I want to say. And, and, and that's something he doesn't need to do. That That is an unforced error. You got to figure out what your message is going to be on that. You can't keep changing it. You can't keep making an issue. You continue to make these things an issue when they don't need to be issues. So I want to say two things. So number one is the biggest argument, the biggest re- response I get is, well, he's not he's not like a politician. He's not a politician like all the other politicians we've seen. He's, he tells it like it is. When's the last time you know he sat in a boardroom and told all his investors that they're going to make a profit of $500 million? Only to deliver a few months later, you know, a three million dollar profit. No one's going to argue that he, great, he made a three million dollar profit. But when you promise your investors they're getting five hundred million dollars, three million is just not that good. That is a business uh, idea. That is a political idea. That is a, an idea very simply of managing expectations. Number one. Number two, as we're going to talk about, I'm sure today, uh, as it relates to the health care vote. You cannot claim as an accomplishment in your 100-day ads and commercial and in all the promotion that we are, we're producing and, and we're moving forward with the largest tax, tax reform and, and, and regulatory reform in the history of this country when your tax proposal was literally a one-page document. There was no legislation. There was no language. One-page document. Essentially, you and I could have spent five minutes on a cocktail napkin coming up with something a bit more deeper and more thought out than that one-page, double-spaced, highly indented document. Many great deals have been done on the back of a cocktail napkin. Fine, but we can't. that's not an accomplishment the day before your 100 days to, to come out with this one-pager and then claim it as one of your major accomplishments of your first 100 days. Well, it, it is similar to Sean Spicer and the day before uh, uh, Mulvaney, uh, Nick Mulvaney, going and showing a picture of the border of the border fence going up in in at the White House briefing. And they're showing the fence there. And they're saying, this is the fence that's being built right now. It's the wall. This is the wall because they're... Now, of course, if you actually investigate this, this is actually the fence that was approved during the George W. Bush administration and then finally moved forward, I think, like two years ago in New Mexico to strengthen the fence. And the the truth is it's just pictures that are just total misdirection. This is not the wall. Mexico isn't paying for it. There's nothing going on about this, these pictures that they're showing the American people that actually relate to any promises that were made during the campaign. And that's the problem here. It's not even like it's fake news. It's actually total misdirection of showing people things and showing the public things that are just not true. And you basically saying to the press, go ahead and call us out on it. 
because that's what you have to do. How can you not say, I mean, when, when the president says we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it, but yet the, the budget legislation that just passed that the Republicans approved and the White House went along with doesn't include funding for the wall and certainly Mexico isn't paying for it. How can you not turn around and say, hey, this is the reality. What's going on? Look, this begs the question. You know, as many of uh, of our listeners know, I served as a state assemblyman uh, just not too long ago. And before we would make a statement, before we would send out a press release, before one of my my staffers would go to a meeting and make a comment on my behalf, we would have a lengthy conversation in the office about what is the impact of these statements, what's it going to mean. Could someone question the validity of these statements? Are we being exactly truthful? Are we being half truthful? Like. And what is the impact of those things? This begs the question, what is happening in the back room of the White House? If these are the things that we get to see, right, what Sean Spicer says, the tweets that the president puts out, if these are the things that are actually coming out, what are they possibly talking about before they get to that press conference? Did someone look at those photos and look at the ideas that they were going to, that Sean Spicer was going to talk about and say, hey, maybe we shouldn't say this because it's going to take a reporter 10 minutes of fact-checking and Googling to realize this is not the Trump border wall. This is something very, very different. It's not going to take a lot of reporters. It's not going to take a long time for us to realize like, hey, these are nice you know, tax reform ideas. Great. These are great ideas that have been brought up for years, different bits and pieces. But like, we haven't accomplished anything yet. We have not accomplished. And someone made the point to me this week was that like, wow, this is historic, uh, historic reform, tax reforms. What historic tax reforms? Is it almost like repeal and replace? And I, I know we're going to get to that in a moment. But, you know, just to sort of jump the gun a bit, the actual bill that is likely going to pass the House and, and, you know, then get stuck in the Senate and we'll talk about that is not a repeal and replace. It's like a, it would arguably it's like the Trump amendment to Obamacare. That's what we're talking about here. It's the other point here is that do you not care about getting caught in these half truths, myths, truths, or misdirection? Or do you think you're not going to get caught? That's that's the question. I mean, when Sean Spicer goes out there in front of the press corps and says things that are easily disproven or other people easily disproven, how is it that they really believe that they have this set of alternative facts? And I know we'll keep going back to that that statement because it's a great statement. The idea that there is such a thing as alternative facts by definition is in itself absurd. And the, the does he not think, does he just figure, okay, people don't really care. They're not going to invest it. They don't listen. They only listen to the first thing that they hear. They don't follow up on it. So if we just say something enough, okay, it, it happens. I mean, there is something to be said for that, but that's a campaign style thing, right? You try and get away with stuff when you're in a campaign. I mean, I will admit I to having tried to do things like that and get away with things that are not, let's say, uh, a little bit truthy as opposed to fully true and not necessarily 100% true, but you try and you try and get away with that. But when you're governing, when it actually matters, when you're in the White House, when you're running the U.S. government, you don't, what's the point of doing things that are, that are factually disproven or easily disproven? 
So I'd love to talk for a moment uh, about and use this as an exact an exact example. So going back to the Dickerson interview on CBS from Sunday, right? Uh, face the nation or deface the nation? Deface the nation, right? Where where the president was doing a one on one interview. That, that's even the president goes on. He wants to do these interviews. They schedule these interviews, and then he sits there and insults reporter and, 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 But go ahead. I don't even <laughs> want to get into that. I mean, you know, I want to get to the end, all the way to the end. You know, when uh, when the president himself brings up the idea of like surveillance we all know about the obama surveillance and how you know we it's being talked about and how we need to talk about it some more and you know look i always you know you think that you're in the oval office and you're quasi you're, you're standing in front of the president you're going to be intimidated you know god bless dickerson who literally pushes and says okay you know mr president please explain to us the evidence explain to us what you're talking about please you know go into detail we'd like your opinion on and the president says, "Well, well, you know, you have your opinions, and I have my opinions. You know what we're talking about. This is not, this is not. A, it's, it's. There's a fundamental difference between an opinion and a fact. There is a fact. Something. It is day outside. It's the morning. The sky is blue. The grass is is green. And an opinion. Either you were surveilled, either you were phone tapped or wiretapped, or you weren't. That is a fact, or it is false. This idea that you have your opinions and you." No, if it happened, then someone should be prosecuted. If it didn't happen, then stop talking about it. Well, that's that's the, the key here. I think what a lot of people do. People say, "Yeah, just let it go. Who cares whether?" No, the current president accused the previous president of a crime, and whether or not you like the idea, uh, whether you like the previous president, whether you like Obama or not, and I'm not, I'm certainly not going to count myself in the Obama camp or the Obama fair fan but you can't go ahead it, it first of all it diminishes the offices of the presidency which is terrible and diminishes the country but and as an american i thought well, you're the american but as a republican <laughs> and an american i would say that it's offensive to me to accuse the president of a crime without any evidence whatsoever and why he does it i can't understand the pathology but it's not just us what what is it the problem is, is that people around the world and people in the country stop taking the administration seriously. Because if you can't count on the things that they say, then then what can you count on? I mean, where where is their accountability? People have to be accountable for the things that they say, for the things that they do. They have there has to be some level of accountability. And when we go around and we use language that's we use whether it's bellicose language against North Korea, whether we're using language uh, with regard to a two-state solution or a one-state solution in the Middle East, and you know, yet again yesterday when President Abbas, you know. Uh, President Trump, well, President Abbas was in the White House. President Trump said he's going to make peace in the Middle East. We'll tackle that a little bit later. But the point here is that people stop taking you seriously. And in fact, there was the Milken Conference was in LA this week, and one of the big themes was was the president and can we take his economic policy seriously? And the overall, I mean, a number of people said, uh, uh, were Reuters had an article t saying. I don't take Trump seriously, a senior executive with one of the country's six largest banks told Reuters. I'm listening less and less. And then uh, there were about a dozen institutional investors on a panel who spoke in the, and said that you can't take you can't bank on anything from Trump until it's signed into law. Basically, people are advising their clients don't make any changes until actual things happen. Don't rely on anything the White House is saying. Don't rely because. In fact, it can change in a minute. 
And the funny thing is the president's biggest defender, Tom Barrack, who was there, big Los Angeles uh, area investor, friend of Trump. He was the chairman of the convention. He actually bragged about the fact he says that the big guys meeting Trump, his lack of predictability has gained respect. Basically, what he's saying is it's liable to do anything at any time. And when you're a company trying to determine what you want to do or you're an individual, let's say you want to do some tax planning and you don't know what the taxes are going to taxes going to be. You're a company. You're looking to do business in different places. You don't know what the regulations are going to be. Nobody knows anything. So the words that they say actually do matter. And I think that's the point that a lot of people are not getting out there, that they don't they aren't focusing on the fact that it's it's not about a show here. This stuff really, really matters. Everything around the world and our allies and the people, other countries around the world listen to everything the president of the United States says because they're concerned about how it impacts them. And the only defense and the only thing, the only argument you get is, well, he's not like a politician. He says what he thinks. Ladies and gentlemen, that's that doesn't make it right. That's not a, a, a blanket excuse to say and do what you want when you are the president of the United States. Quite frankly, everything we talk about, and I challenge anybody to go through you know, the archives, and uh, I urge everybody, they're on the Nachum Siegel Network, to go through our, our archives and to tell me where I was factually incorrect, where I, you know, my, my sort of democratic liberal bias sort of took over. It's not about that. It's about effective governing. Let's, you know, I think this is the perfect segue to talk about healthcare today. <clears throat> the president tried with everything. Well, I think just one more comment yeah, with sure. regard to that, because I think there's just as a, when I talk about foreign policy, when you think about North Korea, the president invited. Now, yeah, they walked it back. They qualified it. The president invited the dictator butcher of dictator of North Korea, King John Un, to come to the White House. Said, yeah, I'll, I'll be with him. That's you don't do that. And he, and he talks about the fact that he came to power and he, he consolidated power and he admires that. I mean, the man killed has killed hundreds, if not thousands of people. And then also in the Philippines. I mean, just it seems odd. You know, and he just says things. He has to walk them back. And that's where it actually really does matter because there's no clarity as far as what the president is thinking. What the, what, and the president actually has unfettered authority to conduct foreign policy. And that's where it actually really matters. But let's talk about health care because this is a big issue coming up today. There will be a vote on the House floor. It seems that they might actually be able to pass the repeal of Obamacare in the House. Well, again, and I'm going to qualify that by saying, you know, to repeal something, you've got to take everything about it and just do away with it. What, what's happening today is not a repeal, but I want to talk more about the politics behind it, right? This is an administration who, who started the administration with executive orders. And I actually... I have no issue with that. You know, you want to get out of the gate. You don't want to jump into sort of the, the Washington mess. And I think most of us would agree that, that, that Washington is generally a mess and it needs to be cleaned up. You don't want to jump right into it. And so you find ways to effectively govern via executive order. Great. And so those are going along well. And I'm not going to get into the immigration debate and whether it was right, whether it was wrong. It doesn't matter. All of a sudden, your your first sort of you, you sort of venture into, OK, we're going to get into policy. And we told every we told the American people we're going to repeal um, initially repeal Obamacare and then it turned into after like sort of the buzz like well what do you mean how are you going to repeal Obamacare no 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 don't worry we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare great if that's what you want to do by the way whether I agree with it or not let's actually see things move forward right and I might disagree with it I, I want to be clear and that's sort of what I, I spoke about just a moment ago I'm not going to let my, my liberal leanings right or quote unquote liberal leanings sort of interfere because I don't mind as long as we have effective government and we're moving things forward. If I agree ideologically or not, then I can I can I can handle that. I'm a big boy. However, we tried and the president used every ounce of 
goodwill, authority, power to convince Congress a few weeks ago to pass uh, to pass a bill. And ultimately, it was the Republicans who held it up. I don't care who tells you what. The Freedom Caucus basically said, we are not going to pass this bill. And it, it ultimately put a, a, a very hard end to this debate only over the last couple of weeks for the negotiations to start up again. Great. I don't have a problem with that. But let's call it what it is. This is a mechanism to save face for the Republican Party. I think the Republican Party at this point realizes that it's not just about the president. When we didn't, when healthcare wasn't passed, it was an embarrassment to the Republican, you know, Republicans in Congress as well. And I think the Republican Party realizes, look, we've got to pass something. We've got to get something done. And we're seeing today is going to be a vote in the House. So the House and 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 Paul Ryan can get up and say, we've gotten something done. But when you actually dig in, much like the tax reform uh, uh, policy slash one page, one pager, what's actually in there and what's it actually going to do? It is, yeah, going to change a few uh, points, uh, a few specific points of Obamacare, but it is a long, long ways away from a complete repeal, and it is definitely not a replacement. The politics around this are just very perilous uh, around health care. I mean, they, they really just are. They're really perilous for Republicans. Republicans have actually been successful in in you know in the House, in, in actually in the Congress, in multiple elections now around health care. And now they have an opportunity to do something, and they are kind of caught flat-footed as because they are just different. There are just so many different caucuses within the, or I don't want to say caucuses, groupings within the House Republicans and also going to be very different from what goes on in the Senate. So it's just, the as I think you correctly pointed out, you can't just do nothing. You got to do something. But that something, there's no agreement about what that something is. Presumably there should have been over the last couple of years because, you know, it they they took the House in 2010 pretty much primarily on Obamacare. They kept the House in 2012. They added seats in 2014 and took the Senate. And you would have thought that that would have been a great opportunity um, to put something together and do it. And yes, Paul Ryan is definitely a policy guy, at, but the politics around pre-existing conditions and healthcare and the costs and lack of cost mandates, there's just a lot in there. And of course, like everything, Everybody wants good legislation until the good legislation has affects them in some kind of a negative way. And you know that from being it from being uh, being lobbied by various interest groups. I mean, let's talk about that for a second. When you're when you do when you were doing a significant piece of legislation or the budget in in Albany, it's no different. You have lots of people weighing in and lots of people with very different opinions who all want something good, but they all want something for themselves. That, that's exactly right. Look, everybody has a job, right? There's there's bodies that come together in Congress, you know, over 535 members all come together to sort of work on collective good. Remember, they're all elected from individual states, individual districts, and they all want to deliver for their district, right? And everybody has to get reelected. Let's be clear about it. As an elected official, you don't have one boss. You have as many as, as many constituents, constituents as you have. You know that's how many bosses you have. I represented 130,000 people. Any one of them could choose. <clears throat> excuse me. Any one of them could choose not to re-up my contract and not to vote for me. Every member of Congress is thinking about. I have to run for re-election in 18 months from now. I have to run for re-election. What are they going to say about me in my district when 
either a more conservative Republican or a less conservative Republican or a Democrat in a red state is going to run against me, I've got to have my talking points cold. And so I've got to either be, you know, as, as the Freedom Caucus did a few weeks ago, is I've got to hold it up. I've got to tell people that this deal wasn't good because I've got to, I've got to stand behind what everything I've said up until now. You have other members, right? Same party, same 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 idealistic flag and umbrella, who still need to get something done because they told their constituents they're going to do something, and so all of a sudden you have this tremendous divide within the Republican Party, and this idea that well the Democrats should really be sitting in the room. Yes, the Democrats should be sitting in the room, and they should be having an honest negotiation, honest conversation about health care. But at this point, the Republicans can't get out of their own way. They literally can't get out of their own way. And this is not even, by the way, we this idea that even if it passes the House today, it then has to start the process in the Senate, which could take... But politically, they, that might be just what they're trying to do. Get it out of the House, get it into the Senate, and then it'll be the Senate's problem, and then you could you know, deal from there, and then they you know, conference committees, etc. You know, let's just throw it out there. But... It's a big, it's a big issue. Also, in the politics around this, I mean, you have uh, just yesterday Fred Upton, very prominent uh, congressman from, was the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee from uh, from Michigan. He was a no on the bill, and then they threw in eight billion dollars for him uh, to cover pre-existing conditions to his satisfaction. And so now he's a yes on the bill. But you can't throw eight billion dollars at you know two hundred Republicans. In each each of them and then hope to get anything else done because you kind of crowded out any other flexibility you have for the so that is the problem in general in Congress is once you try and do things and the president also has said at the same time he doesn't want to touch other things he doesn't want to touch entitlements he doesn't want to touch uh, and he wants everybody to be covered I mean he went on I mean, the, the, one of the biggest problems that happened now even with this iteration is I don't know based on the interviews that I wrote that I saw on Sunday he didn't seem to know what was in the bill and what wasn't in the bill because he goes on and says, well, we're still negotiating it. And in fact, the House leadership had actually already closed the bill and they already said this is the final bill up or, up or down. And he said, no, we're still negotiating. That gives every single member of the Republican conference an opportunity to weigh in on their own. And to say nothing, by the way, of course, we about the fact that this is once again not done on a bipartisan basis. Um, Obamacare wasn't done on a bipartisan basis, unfortunately, and I say that unfortunately uh, as well. And it, it's just upset. But I think the gov- the Democrats can take solace in the fact that they actually had most of the wins in the budget extender negotiation to keep the government open. Um, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to shut down government in September because this right. time I was only joking around. <laughs> Next time I'm going to be serious. You know, this is sort of what it goes to the heart of everything we've spoken about. You know, speak, speak soft, do big, right? You know, don't, don't, it's, it's under promise and over deliver, right? Right. You had a chance right now to use all your goodwill and all your, the referendum that this election they sort of gave you to do what, what needed to be done for the people. And you sort of punted. And I hate to say this. I give all the credit to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, who literally stood their ground and said, right. we're not going to negotiate. This is what we believe is the right way to do it. And the administration folded and said, oh, don't worry. Well, in September, that's when we're going to shut down. They have really both serious. kept their conferences together quite impressively. I, I, you, you definitely feel, and it's easier when you're in the minority to do that. I mean, no question. But Nancy Pelosi has kept the Democratic conference 
together united i think there probably would be some democrats who would want to go ahead and potentially uh, cross over and support the republicans but they kept the conferences together and paul ryan and and, well we'll, we don't know about mitch mcconnell yet but have not been able to do the same in in their respective conferences part of this the freedom caucus is kind of totally on its own um in what they do uh it's time for for some awards for the week and i think that uh a couple are are in order i going to start some new ones potentially. I think the non-spin award of the week actually is going to go to Ivanka. Ivanka's out with a new book and she says a whole bunch of different things and there's all kinds of pearls of wisdom. I, I heard you were waiting have, online to purchase the book. Uh, well, I have. Uh, I was waiting for the book signing. but uh, And she admits during there that she was unable to get a massage or meditate during the ca- during the campaign and I that's a big takeaway there because I think that there's a strange approach that she has here um to what she the sacrifices that she had to make in order to help her father get elected president uh i don't recall any campaign that i've been on that massages were actually there was time for but i also tell you as i don't also know and i know many people have worked in the white house i don't know anybody who has done two ski vacations in the first hundred days so there are there have been some perks for her, and I don't feel that bad. But that is like a no spin award. Why would you admit such a thing? Let's put it that way. Uh, the other thing, as far as the spin awards of the week, that is a particularly good one this week goes to Eric Phillips, who is the press secretary for uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio. Bill de Blasio had his corrections commissioner uh, Ponte. Uh, it was found out that he spent like a hundred days over the last couple of years in Maine, where he actually lives. And he takes his city-owned car to Maine with him, which is like a six-hour drive. He's drove it, driven like 1,800 miles over the... Uh, um, it's cost, a cost of $1,800 in gas and tolls. That's a lot of trips. He's basically spending even workdays in Maine, and he took his city car because they said, and Eric Phillips, the spokesman for the mayor, spun it this way. He said, well, he needs it in case there's an emergency. So in case there's an emergency at Rikers Island, he is going to speed back six seven hours and he's going to make it there just in time for them to solve the emergency so he can be there and be in command of rikers island which everybody knows has been quite troubled during his tenure it's quite incredible he and drives very fast he now. must drive very fast but that is that is some good spin and i'm going to give the political faux pas award of the week to shmuley boteach rabbi shmuley uh was in his in unquenchable thirst for pictures with very important people and i must say he just has a great knack and a great talent for it takes a picture in the west wing office of steve bannon with the whiteboard of steve bannon all the little scribbled promises of the president in there and it was amazing folks out there we talk about about the promises not kept there are a lot of promises that have yet to be fulfilled one of them of course being moving the embassy to jerusalem came up again this week on the on israel independence day uh one promise that has been kept actually is the ferry from the rockaways to manhattan (laughs) that is a kudos to uh assemblyman phil goldfeder who i think initiated that initially now mayor de blasio has brought that back obviously he wants the rockaways vote coming up in 2017 that's it for us this week and uh thanks for joining us here on spin class here on the knock Siegel network stay tuned for jew in the city speaks with allison josephs